Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Westport Fuel Systems first quarter 2020 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to Sean Severson with Alpha Direct Advisors, Westport's Investor Relations Representative. Please go ahead, Mr. Severson. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Westport Fuel Systems first quarter conference call, which is being held to coincide with the press release containing Westport Fuel Systems financial results that was distributed yesterday. On today's call, speaking on behalf of Westport Fuel Systems is Chief Executive Officer David Johnson and Chief Financial Officer Richard Dorzetti. Attendance on this call is open to the public and to media, but questions will be restricted to the investment community. You are reminded that certain statements made in this conference call and our responses to various questions may constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of the U.S. and applicable Canadian securities laws, and as such, forward-looking statements are made based on our current expectations and involve certain risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements, so you're cautioned not to place undue reliance on these statements. Information contained in this conference call is subject to and qualified in its entirety by information contained in the company's public filings. I'll now turn the call over to David. David? Good morning. Thank you for joining our conference call to review Westport Fuel Systems Q1 2020 results. I sincerely hope that all of you, your colleagues, friends, and family are healthy and well, and that you stay healthy and well. I've had a chance to speak with many of you since our 2019 year end results call on March 17th. It has certainly been a challenging time, but I've also been incredibly impressed with the resiliency and ingenuity of our team in the face of this global crisis. Our focus has now shifted from COVID-19 response to a safe and efficient post-COVID recovery. As this pandemic made its way around the world, Our teams have been following government guidelines, local protocols in each jurisdiction where we operate. Our people have shown tremendous fortitude and have safely and effectively resumed operations at all our locations. Despite the near-term uncertainty and expected softer demand on the passenger vehicle side of our business, I'm confident that the need for affordable, clean transportation solutions remains. It's encouraging to see that climate change hasn't fallen to the back burner. Rather, we're seeing signs that the green recovery is on. Cost consciousness and renewed pragmatism means that CapEx decisions will be heavily scrutinized. And with that scrutiny will come the realization that electric propulsion for long haul heavy duty trucking applications is at best an expensive distant hope for the far off future. Gaseous fuel solutions are proven, available and affordable right now. While vehicle purchase decisions might be delayed by the post COVID economy, we believe the compelling fundamentals point directly to solutions from Westport Fuel Systems. And with renewable natural gas, otherwise known as biomethane, the story only becomes more compelling. Post-COVID, the challenges of climate change and urban air quality have not disappeared. 
The need to efficiently move goods hasn't disappeared. The world needs affordable, clean transportation more than ever. There have been a number of important developments since our year results call, and I'll walk through those in a moment. But first, I want to share the headline Q1 financial results. On the heels of our successful 319 results, each of our operating segments was performing in line or ahead of our 2020 expectations prior to the onset of the shutdowns and economic fallout of COVID-19. Our first quarter results reflect the impact of COVID-19 related customer shutdowns, which began in China in January and spread to Europe and North America in mid-March. Roughly 75% of our global operations are located in Italy, where shutdowns were implemented in the second half of March and then through all of April. In Q1, we mitigated Chinese supply chain disruptions that stemmed from their COVID shutdown and were able to increase inventories and ship to meet customer demand in advance of our own shutdown. Our headline financial results are as follows. Consolidated revenues for the quarter decreased 8% or $6 million to $67.2 million compared to the same period last year. Adjusted EBITDA of minus 3.6 million was lower compared to 7.3 million last year, primarily due to a $10 million charge for a service campaign to replace pressure release valves in the field. I must note that there have been no failures in the field to date. We've been proactively working with our customers to eliminate the remote risk associated with a batch of our components by replacing those components in the field. We expect to recover a significant portion of this charge from our insurer during the second half of the year but accounting rules do not allow us to book the insurance recovery at this time. Our efforts to shore up the balance sheet and improve liquidity include the recently announced long-term 5 million euro loan secured through Unicred. And we are in the process of securing a $10 million bridge facility with Export Development Canada. We have been successful in accessing various government support programs in Canada, Italy, and the Netherlands, and expect approximately 4 million in wage subsidies in Q2 2020. We very much appreciate that support at this time. So now we're back at work and order flow is returning. We continue to focus on cost reduction, discipline cash management, and supporting our global team and their communities as we navigate this recovery period. At the same time, we've been able to secure new business opportunities, such as the recently announced deal with GasTech in Egypt. It's encouraging to see green shoots of optimism in the face of so much uncertainty. As our customers, partners, and suppliers return to production, there have been many questions about the impact of the downturn in our industry. Let's start with China. Despite COVID-19-related delays, our WeChai Westport joint venture has completed all the emissions testing with the Chinese Ministry of Ecology and Environment and with the Chinese Ministry of Industry. We greatly respect the efforts of the Chinese government officials to confirm the tests that were completed to their satisfaction, and we're optimistic that the current administrative proceedings will conclude with a final paperwork or certification in the near future. While the certification delay affects the timing of the commercial launch and the production and sales ramp that follows, we do not expect it will change the shape of the adoption curve. The long-term potential of HPI in China, the largest natural gas commercial vehicle market in the world, remains compelling. We have a great partner and a great product and a large market to serve, and we look forward to doing that just when the Chinese government provides the final green light. Now let's turn to Europe. The European Union's Green Deal includes measures to increase the supply of low emissions fuels. Biomethane, otherwise known as renewable natural gas or RNG, accounts for 17% of all natural gas fuel consumed by road transportation in Europe. And in some countries, biomethane already dominates. For example, in the UK, renewable natural gas, biomethane, is nearly 70% of the mix, 
while in Sweden, 94% of CNG fuel is sold as renewable. In Denmark, all CNG stations dispense renewable natural gas exclusively. Production capacity is proven and the infrastructure is in place and rapidly expanding. Royal Dutch Shell has just committed to opening 10 more sites this year in Germany, two more in Belgium, one in Poland, beginning to invest also in Austria. Their liquefaction plants for bio-LNG are progressing quickly, expected to come online this year in a large German liquefaction facility coming online in 2021. A vehicle fueled with renewable gas is effectively climate neutral. We believe renewable gas is the best solution to accelerate the decarbonization of the transportation sector. In Germany, the authorities have announced the extension of the roll toll exemption for CNG and LNG heavy-duty trucks through 2023. While still subject to parliamentary approval, this is an important signal to the marketplace that natural gas trucking is a critical component of Germany's decarbonization plan. Additional subsidies on the purchase of natural gas vehicles announced in July 2019, that is 12,000 euro for LNG vehicles, 8,000 euros for CNG vehicles, and a fuel energy tax on natural gas that is 70% less than diesel adds up to significant savings. These subsidies amount to approximately 70,000 euros of savings in the first five years of vehicle operation. We also see signs that warrant optimism for our light duty and aftermarket products. According to the European Automobile Manufacturers Association's latest report, the demand for cars fueled with CNG in Europe increased by 68% in the first quarter of 2020. Italy remains Europe's largest market for light-duty vehicles, followed by Spain, Belgium, France, Sweden, and Germany. Like most of you, I've been following closely the commentary about the global economic recovery. As the economy restarts, gases fuels, including LPG, natural gas, hydrogen, and renewable gases, have figured prominently in the Green Deal initiatives of the EU's recovery plan. Commercial demand is strong, though we may not see quite as steep a growth curve as we were projecting for 2020. On the aftermarket side, we're concerned about consumer confidence and we expect to endure some softness in demand. We believe a focus on renewable and decarbonized gases as well as clean and sustainable mobility offers an opportunity to boost the economic recovery, retain and create jobs, and achieve our critical emissions reduction goals. As we look out to the remainder of the year, the steady recovery of our OEM and aftermarket businesses, the growth of HPDI in Europe, and the upcoming production launch of HPDI in China are keys to our success. I'm confident that we can weather the current headwinds and our team is committed to delivering on our strategic priorities. To recap, we remain focused on the successful commercial launch of HPDI in China, further cost reductions, new light duty and heavy duty OEM businesses in key market geographies, and the profitable growth of our light duty business through both our aftermarket and OEM channels. Despite the near-term uncertainty, a strong regulatory ecosystem is still there, and so is a strong desire for a green recovery. Now I'll turn it over to Richard to review our financials. Richard? Thank you, David. As David described in the financial highlights at the beginning of the call, during the first quarter, our revenues were $67.2 million, which was a year-over-year decrease of $6 million, or 8%, compared to the first quarter, 19. The decrease was driven mainly by lower sales in March in our light duty and heavy duty business caused by the shutdowns from COVID-19. We had softer sales in our light duty OEM business to our Russian and German customers. And we had some contracted price concessions to our HBDI launch partner that started in late fourth quarter 2019. 
Gross margin of 4.3 million decreased by 12.9 million year over year, primarily due to the $10 million charge we took on the field service campaign. On a tax affected basis, the charge was approximately 7.5 million. As David described, we expect to recover 70% of the replacement cost from insurance recovery. However, we have not recorded the recovery at this time due to the early stage of the insurance claim review. We expect to recognize the insurance recovery once we have official confirmation from the insurance company. Excluding the charge, margins were also impacted by lower revenues from our OEM businesses by 3.6 million, partially offset by some improvement in our independent aftermarket business of about 1 million. Income from equity investments of 5.4 million was down 37% year over year due to lower CWI earnings driven by the 17% decrease in engine sales and lower parts sales. The decrease in engine sales in the first quarter of 2020 largely reflects the timing of transit orders and build schedules combined with lower refuse market sales. Net loss of negative 15.3 million down 12.3 million year over year resulted mainly from the $7.5 million charge for the field service campaign, lower OEM margins, and an unrealized foreign exchange loss of approximately $7 million from the translation of our US dollar denominated debt in our Canadian legal entities. The unrealized foreign exchange loss was driven by a 9% devaluation in the Canadian dollar. As most of our revenues are generated in euros, this is somewhat less of a concern in paying down our debt and actually realizing a true cash foreign exchange loss and more of an accounting loss. Turning to EBITDA, year-over-year EBITDA was negative $11 million, which was $15.3 million, less than positive $4.2 million in the first quarter of 2019. After adjusting for non-cash and non-recurring items, that is share-based compensation and the unrealized foreign exchange loss, year-over-year adjusted EBITDA decreased by $10.9 million from positive $7.3 million to negative $3.6 million. Turning to our liquidity and financing, we had a net cash outflow of $6.9 million during the first quarter, and we ended up with $39 million in cash on hand. The cash outflow was driven mainly by a buildup of working capital. The CWI dividend was consistent year-over-year, However, we expect decreases for the remainder of the year. Our cash flow from financing activities were lower year over year due to a deferral of one principal payment on the Export Development Canada term loan, and we drew on a credit facility. COVID-19 has dealt us new challenges, which we have been dealing with since early March, and that we expect to persist through the end of the year. The majority of our businesses have now reopened and we are seeing demand beginning to pick up, albeit modestly. We have taken several steps to improve our liquidity, and these actions to date have created approximately $20 million in short-term liquidity to weather the economic impact of COVID-19. We are taking a structured and measured approach to secure liquidity for the short-term, but thinking about refinancing for long-term to fund our growth of HPDI and our other growth opportunities. The actions taken to date, many of which we have communicated in press releases or at our AGM, include a deferral of $6 million in principal payments agreed by Export Development Canada, which is effectively a de facto extension of the term loan to 2022, 
the previously announced 5 million euro loan to one of our Italian subsidiaries by Unicredit under the Italian government stimulus program known as the Decreto Liquidità. Salary and other compensation deferrals and reductions, which we expect will reduce expenses by 2 million during 2020. Across the board spending cuts and capital expenditure reductions, which are anticipated to reduce cash outflows by $3 million during 2020. Wage subsidies from several governments in the jurisdictions we operate, like Canada, Italy, the Netherlands, Sweden, and the United States, are expected to provide $4 million in the second quarter. In addition to the actions completed, we also expect new debt financing enabled by government programs in Canada and Italy, including a $10 million bridge facility from Export Development Canada. We are also pursuing additional loans in Italy under the Decreto Liquidità. As discussed at our AGM, we indicated that we were working to secure bridge and long-term financing in the range of 20 to $30 million. With the recent unit credit loan and the EDC bridge financing, we are comfortable that this range is achievable. We are also in discussion with current lenders to potentially extend maturity dates on other loan obligations under mutually agreeable terms. Over the next year, we will also continue to evaluate our sources and uses of financing to improve our cost of capital and align to the long-term growth needs of the company. We are confident that our action plans will provide us with the necessary liquidity to meet our obligations as they come due and provide the capital to continue to grow our business. Westport Fuel Systems is market-ready, tested, and gaseous fuel vehicles have achieved scale in many market segments with the potential of renewable gas to offer net zero carbon solutions we are ready to be part of the economic recovery with that i'd like to turn it back to the operator for your questions thank you we will now begin the question and answer session analysts who wish to join the question queue may press star then one on your telephone keypad you will hear a tone acknowledging your request if you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Eric Stein with Craig Hallam Capital Group. Please go ahead. Hi, David. Hi, Richard. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Hey, uh, great to hear you. Uh, confidence in the balance sheet given the uh, steps taken to date and some things you're targeting near term. You know, I was wondering, you're two two months into the quarter, about a month beyond uh, where you've started to uh, ramp back up in Italy. Um, and I know that a lot of uncertainty and, and, and still, you know, uh, the environment is, is uh, I mean, just a lot of questions marks. But any anything, any details you could share about um, what you're seeing early days in Italy, markets where you may be seeing some relative strength, um, that would be very helpful. Yeah, Eric, glad to answer, glad to follow up. You know, it's, it has been and uh, continues to be a difficult time, as, uh, as everyone knows, not just us. But uh, we do see green shoots, as, as we mentioned just a moment ago, that uh, there, there are, you know, people coming light back to life, consumers and industries also. And uh, so, as you know, going into the COVID crisis, uh, we created a number of scenarios, um, surely like many companies did, and stress tested our, our liquidity plans against those scenarios. 
And as we look at that, uh, now kind of looking backwards a little bit on what's actually unfolding, uh, we see that uh, we, we, we bounded the equation enough. So our worst case is uh, that we use is worse than it's actually right now, which uh, maybe sounds uh, not so optimistic, but frankly, you know, we're, we're pleased to see the market coming back. And uh, we think that the actions being taken by government uh, have been very helpful. Uh, but we're not through this yet. And so that's where we, we come out saying, you know, so far so good. We're, we're pleased that uh, our factories are open. We're pleased that our customers are reopening. Uh, we're pleased to uh, get the orders from our OEM customers and see that order bank building back up. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of time still ahead of us, and it looks like a long road. Right, right. No, okay. Um, I can appreciate that. Um, Maybe then just on, on uh, China and Wei Chai, I mean, your commentary here in the call is, is certainly different and more optimistic than in the, in the release itself, you know, saying targeting something in 2020. Um, I'm curious, I mean, what, what types of actions have you taken um, in the market? Um, and I know that, you know, it doesn't change the, you know, what you think that the growth curve looks like, but, um, I mean, how does this set up that if we were to see a uh, that, that the certification was granted, um, I mean, do you think this is a, a quarter or two, or, or how do you think about when you may start to see activity and then that activity followed by a, a ramp in volumes? Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from on the question, and, and we're uh, making our uh, – our efforts to understand as best we can uh, what looks ahead for us in the Chinese market. We're confident in getting that certification. We've done all the things we need to do. Uh, the product is, is ready to launch. Uh, we need the certification, of course. We need that paperwork, and uh, we expect that will come. I don't know at what pace, so we're hopeful uh, it's any day now, but uh, we, we're uh, in a wait-and-see mode. In terms of the market dynamics, though, I, I'm, uh, I'm really encouraged about the opportunity. You know, we have a great power uh, partner with ReachEye Power. Um, we're the strongest player in the market with natural gas engines already today with Spark Ignited product. Adding HPDI to the mix, uh, you know, it's a, it's a far superior product to the Spark Ignited product, and we think uh, the market is really ready for it. Having said that, uh, we also recognize, like we went through in Europe with our lead customer there, there is a learning cycle for every fleet operator, every truck driver to uh, try it out and uh, get used to the new technology and get comfortable with it. Um, we do think that the evidence, if you will, of the market uptake in Europe will uh, propel the Chinese market even more. We also think that uh, WeChai Power is a supplier of engines in our joint venture. WeChai Westport is a supplier of engines that can serve multiple OEMs and will serve multiple OEMs. And so we have that additional benefit. Nonetheless, my expectations for this year are modest, and uh, my expectations for 2021 are uh, quite significant. I'm looking forward to uh, the launch curve that unfolds in front of us. Got it. Um, maybe last one for me, just uh, if you could provide some details on the on the faulty, um, the pressure uh, pressure device, um, and I guess where I'm coming from is that that likely has some bearing on the insurance repayment. I mean, you clearly feel confident about that, but also in the timing of getting that uh, reimbursement, I think you're targeting 4Q. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this is, uh, you know, you never like to have these situations, but in our business, uh, you know, you have to react. 
I'm very pleased with the way our team has reacted. We uh, identified the root cause, we fixed the root cause, we got new parts into production, and we're working with all our customers around the world to replace those uh, suspect parts that are in the field as quickly as we can. Um, you know, in terms of the insurance recoveries, uh, it seems pretty clear to us uh, that we're in a good place and we'll have a good result. Uh, but necessarily, we have to work with our insurer to uh, to secure those recoveries and to provide all the evidence and, uh, and work through that process. And that just takes time. So um, I've had in my career, unfortunately, a chance to work on a number of uh, actions like this with different OEMs. And it always takes longer than you'd like with respect to uh, getting the job done and, uh, and getting the insurance recoveries. But at the same time, uh, this is uh, just a, a, let's say, normal part of business, unfortunately, uh, that we have to go through from time to time. Um, so we uh, see our way clear to, uh, to uh, the insurance recoveries and, and to providing good product for our customers. And in that, uh, you know, that view that it always takes longer than you'd like, you're, you're factoring that in when you talk about 4Q as the target? Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we have uh, the, the discussion opened up with our insurer, but we haven't been able to conclude it at this point in time. It's pretty early in the process. We've just uh, started the process in the field, so uh, there's plenty of work to be done. But I don't think this is a multi-year process by any way, shape, or form, so I think within this year is very reasonable. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Good to hear you. Our next question comes from Rob Brown with Lake Street Partners. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I uh, just wanted to just wanted to clarify the the kind of on the automotive side, the OEM versus the aftermarket recovery expectations. Uh, have you seen order flow start to return from the OEM side? And I guess which one do you sort of see? Ramping more quickly, and, and sort of your view on the how the how those two markets recover. Yeah, I think it's uh, um, pretty clear from what we've seen already, and, and just thinking about the marketplace, uh, that the trucking industry in general around the world has a demand that doesn't fluctuate nearly as much as what consumers do. So you know, uh, on the trucking side, we need to move freight. And one of the things I was uh, contemplating recently is that you know. Uh, typically, in, a, in an economic downturn like we're surely having now and, and we'll have for some time, uh, truck fleets do push off orders uh, and don't buy as many trucks as they were originally planning to conserve some of their capital in kind of tough times. But what my expectation is, is that when they push off those orders, they're pushing orders off of diesel trucks and they're uh, keeping or maybe increasing their order of LNG trucks. You know, with Germany putting in place uh, or they're extending uh, the tax exemption for uh, natural gas trucks in, in Germany, uh, there are big economic incentives. And we already know that our trucks provide a, a low, lower total cost of operation, even absent those road toll incentives and purchase incentives just based on the fuel price. So from my perspective, while the market uh, for trucking may decline overall, have some softness that will last some inter, uh, short period of time, hopefully, uh, the demand for our product, I think, uh, could actually, and we expect to grow, and we're seeing signs of that. On the passenger vehicle side, this really gets to family budgets. You know, basically people taking their cars to a local workshop and having it changed uh, from a gasoline only to a biofuel with natural gas or propane. Uh, this is an individual decision of a consumer. And uh, so the consumers need to see that the economy is coming back. They can go out to dinner again. Uh, their job is, 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 is retained. You know, these real uh, individual uh, uh, 
aspects of, of budgets and so forth. At the same time, I think a, a countervailing force is there is that basically our products are purchased in markets around the world because of the money that we pay saved uh, on fuel. And so we think there's a balance there that will be uh, achieved and, and we you know, we'll have a good business going forward, but it's really hard to judge it right now until we truly get into the, um, I'll say the, the, nor the normal range of recovery that uh, is just starting to unfold right now in markets around the world. Okay, good. Thank thanks for that clarity. And then on the, on the CWI side, uh, it was down in the quarter, but what's your visibility there? Of those, how have those demand trends stabilized here into the the most recent months, have you seen that come back, or is that still quite uncertain? Yeah, we see a little bit of softness, but I think uh, much like uh, the comments I made regarding commercial vehicles in Europe, the, the same thing plays out in North America. You know, as an example, you know, UPS placed this uh, large order uh, last year, talking about their view of natural gas trucking. And I, you know, from what I understand in the marketplace, people aren't backing away from that. They they recognize they've done years of work to decide what kind of technologies uh, they want to apply in the marketplace. Uh, the waste management of the world and, and, and other key customers of ours uh, continue to be um, keen to have our product in their portfolio and in operation for their fleets. Um, I do think there is some some softness, if you will, in transit buses, as I've mentioned previously, has nothing to do with COVID, where basically, you know, electric buses have uh, made some inroads, and so that puts uh, pressure on our, our transit side of the business. Nonetheless, I think as people try out those technologies, uh, natural gas and transit will continue to be an important part of the mix. And so we see some softness just based on the general economy and and some uh, uh, delays and so forth, but but not so significant in the grand scheme of things, we believe. Okay, great. Thank you. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Rob. Our next question comes from Colin Rush with Oppenheimer & Company. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the, the details on this EDC facility? Can you talk about any sort of covenants you're anticipating, collateral, including restricted crash, that will be uh, associated with that, that month? Hi, Colin. It's Richard. Um, regarding uh, security and collateral, it's going to be the same one that is really in place on the existing terminal. So nothing really changed on that. <clears throat> the... Um, it was a very friendly, it's a very friendly loan. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be prime plus 3%. Uh, so it, 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 uh, it comes at a time that's very helpful to us. And um, the EDC has been a, a big supporter of clean tech and has, has been in our corner right from the beginning, as can be seen by the, you know, the deferral, sort of the extension effectively of the terminal. Okay. We hope Perfect. to get it. We hope to get it announced uh, shortly. We're just going through the paperwork because of all the security. Our uh, uh, just the way the nature of some of our loans that we've done in the past. There's uh, it's a little bit tricky of where we're we're um, attaching security in different jurisdictions. But that's the only thing that's really holding it up right now. Okay. And and so you, can you use that 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 capital across the organization, or is it really going to be restricted to the uh, to the Italian business? The the it, it's mainly dedicated towards investing in uh, HPDI um, and and working capital in, in the parent. So it's that's where the money is going to be spent. With regards to the rest of the business, we're we're using debt financing through uh, mainly through uh, Italian banks right now, which have been even more lucrative. They're you know sub to two percent um, cost of borrowing. 
Okay, brilliant. And then can you talk a little bit about the dynamics on, on inventory levels and sell-through for both the aftermarket kits and the DOEM business? I, mean, I think, um, you know, one of the concerns is really around, you know, having to work through existing uh, components and kits that are out there. You know, do you have a sense of, you know, you know how many months of inventory are, are in the channel at this point and kind of the order pattern that you're seeing right now uh, for incremental business? Absolutely. Let me let me talk first about DOEM. Uh, I think this is a very interesting kind of dynamic to understand. So our DOEM business, delayed OEM business, as you know, is basically retrofitting uh, zero-kilometer brand-new cars that come from OEMs uh, as they come from the factory before they go to the dealer. And uh, this is a really uh, great business for us. And what we see right now is that basically, you know, the, the, the vehicles that were on ships and in transit uh, from uh, our customers in uh, in Asia are, are still coming. Uh, so the 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 pause, if you will, and the and the, the drop in the market for for us and, and operations for delayed OEM is still in our future. So we're running quite strongly. Uh, there was a backlog because we shut down for a little bit more than a month in uh, Carrasco, and as soon as we opened, there was all sorts of vehicles ready for us to retrofit. So that's going plus or minus uh, close to full tilt for us in the delayed OEM side. On the uh, on the kit side, where we're shipping kits out to customers around the world, uh, you know, basically, uh, I would say inventory levels weren't uh, particularly out of line, uh, and so, but we we had this pause uh, of our operations for producing kits, and we had pause of the of the workshops and distributors around the world, and I would say these were largely coordinated. So we don't see any specific you know buildup of inventory or or drought of inventory, and uh, so this is what we've been watching very closely because of course. Uh, we're not going to sell more until they're sold also at the dealers and distributors around the world and workshops around the world. And so that order flow is starting to come back and giving us uh, some encouragement that the, the market's reopening and customers getting back to, let's say, normal behavior will let us have uh, the material flow that uh, is something that uh, is good for our business and that we can manage and keep up with. Perfect. And then on the supply chain side, um, you, know, you guys have been pretty proactive in terms of getting uh, components in, are you seeing any any issues or delays on uh, incremental component supply as you start to ramp up again? Yeah, this is another area where I think uh, both through our efforts, as you mentioned, you know, kind of uh, when China shut down first, we had supplies from China that we had to, uh, to find alternatives and accelerate shipments and things like that. We did that. That worked well, kind of leading into our own shutdown. And then a lot of our supply base for our, especially Italian operations, but also our Dutch operations are uh, are local and they're in the area. And so they had the same kind of experience, if you will, with respect to shutdowns. And uh, so overall, we have not had significant supply chain disruptions. Uh, there's always something to work on for our supply chain team, but uh, but nothing that we haven't been able to mitigate or that caused us, uh, you know, any significant, uh, let's say, material consequence in our ability to deliver for our customers. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Colin. Our next question comes from Samir Joshi with HC Wainwright. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, just a clarification on China. Uh, the You mentioned that the testing was done, uh, but the certification was impending. Uh, was it, uh, were the tests uh, according to the results that they expected and uh, the certification uh, delayed because of any uh, technical issues? 
there there are no remaining technical issues, Samir. So, uh, yeah, we passed all the tests. That they confirmed we passed all the tests. It really is, as we understand uh, from our side, uh, within the bureaucracy of the Chinese uh, ministries to uh, process the uh, <laughs> the paperwork and, and get the, the certifications out. And uh, I can't begin to explain what that process looks like and how long it will take. It seems to all of us on the outside it should be quick. But uh, here we stand waiting for their uh, their certification. I do expect it to come. And I do expect it's just a bureaucracy, but uh, it's really hard to put a beat on. Okay, so how long? Is it a week? Is it a month? What is it? Right. Understood. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, as far as the uh, field service campaign uh, goes, uh, are there um, is this just the cost of uh, replacing the units, or is there any associated liabilities uh, uh, that uh, you expect or may already have incurred? So yeah, it, it's just the cost of the replacements, basically. So uh, it's a fair bit of labor uh, to to make the replacement of this component in the field. You have to go to the vehicle and make the replacement, and um, so that that's the primary cost that we see. Um, and, you know, frankly, and unfortunately, we have no field income, so there's no liabilities in that regard, and, and uh, not that we will keep that uh, track. Okay, good to know. Uh, and then one just uh, last clarification on the SG&A costs, which were lowered by 5.8 uh, million, um, of which 1.8 uh, related to the one-time costs. But then uh, how, how are the 4 million uh, of the remainder uh, distributed uh, between the lower compensation costs and the favorable legal uh, claim settlement? I'm just trying to understand uh, well, how much of these uh, is going to be uh, on, uh, ongoing and what is one time. Well, could, you, could you repeat your question again? Oh yeah, uh, the HGNA costs were lowered by 5.8 million, uh, and uh, uh, around 4 million of those uh, can be attributed to lower compensation costs and uh, favorable yeah. settlement of the legal claim. Uh, so, what 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 was the legal claim amount? The legal claim was uh, was roughly about uh, 400,000, and we had accrued uh, more for that. Uh, Historically, because we had uh, we managed to settle for a, a smaller amount, so that that one goes away. And then, what was the second one? Yeah, so I was trying to understand uh, how much of this uh, lower compensation costs will continue into second quarter and maybe third quarter. The lower compensation costs will definitely probably continue till about August. So, in terms of the uh, uh, wage subsidies that we get in Italy. Um, and Canada, those have been extended to the end of uh, August 31st, so almost there. So it, it really depends on the, the length of the, the pandemic. But right now, uh, it's almost all of almost all of the third quarter. Got it. Okay. Uh, thanks. Everything. No problem. Our next question comes from Jeffrey Osborne with Cohen & Company. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, most of the, the questions were asked, um, but I'm trying to get a better understand, understanding of your uh, dialogue with, with Wei Chai. So uh, clearly you're waiting for a certification. You seem frustrated that it's not in. 
are, are is Weichai actively marketing the vehicle uh, or the truck, uh, engine, etc., expecting an imminent receival of the certification, or are all wheels not in motion until that is uh, received? Yeah, so I, I would say, hi, Jeff, good morning. I would say very clearly that uh, Weichai, our, our joint venture and our joint venture partner, Weichai Power, uh, are working with uh, our customers, the vehicle OEMs, uh, uh, to prepare the field, if you will, because obviously when you prepare the uh, the HPDI engine, that includes a number of components on the engine, but there's quite a few components on the vehicle. So as an example, the tests that were run that achieved that, that, that lead to the certification include vehicle tests that we've been doing with our customers. So so I would say that ground is pretty well uh, established and, and, uh, and, and ready. Uh, it's just a question of, you know, no one order until you have a certification. Uh, and so we need that certification so we can uh, uh, take the orders from our customers and place and, and the joint venture can place those orders with, with us for the component. Got it. And then a couple of people asked about different end markets for you and, and order strength or lack thereof. Is, is there a way, instead of playing the, the game of asking each one separately, is there a way you could say of all the end markets you sell to, you know, which one has recovered the quickest or has the best visibility for you and which one's the worst? Uh, what I would tell you is that, uh, you know, let me start with the, the kind of struggling part. The struggling part is in India. Uh, you know, I'm really bullish about that market in general, but uh, they've had a very long shutdown and uh, I think it's uh, really challenging uh, to reopen that business and, and to get back on our feet there. But uh, on the other end of the spectrum, on, on the, um, the strength of our business, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what's happening in Europe with respect to uh, support by the government and also order flow from our customers with respect to specifically HPDI. So um, in, in the end, uh, we won't get the growth that we were hoping for in, in this year just because of COVID, uh, but I see uh, significant strength and I'm continuously uh, uh, compelled by the, the business opportunity. And, and frankly, the need. I think uh, you might have caught it in my opening remarks that uh, my view is as uh, you know, in tough times, OEMs, uh, like the ones I've worked for before and like the ones that are customers today, uh, have to dial back on their CapEx investments uh, just like we are. And when they do that, uh, they're going to look for more pragmatic and practical solutions. And I think that's us. So I think it bodes well for us, and we're seeing that already as uh, you know, fleets place their orders with our lead customer in Europe and as those orders come on to us. Got it. No, thank you. That's all I had. Thanks, Jeff. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Sean Severson for any closing remarks. Yeah, I think I'll take that instead thank of Dave Johnson. So I want to thank everyone for joining the call and uh, really appreciate uh, your time and questions. Uh, as we look at our business, we recognize clearly this is a tough time and we're, we've been very focused on making sure we could uh, protect our employees and our, and, uh, our team members. Uh, their health and safety has been paramount. We think overall that uh, has worked well and we're happy to be back at work. And we're looking forward to the economic recovery as it, as it unfolds. And we're poised with the liquidity we have to, uh, to get through this period and continue to deliver for our customers and help get the world to uh, a lower carbon transportation that's uh, truly economic, affordable, and available now. So thanks, everyone, for your time. Uh, have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. 
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.